Welcome to episode nine of the In the Name of Service podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. Here we broadcast stories of everyday men and women who've answered the call to serve in hopes of inspiring and catalyzing the rest of us to follow suit in our own way. Today's interview is with Eric Homan. Eric is a former combat controller, MBA, and president of the First There Foundation, a nonprofit organization with a mission to ensure current and former combat controllers know they have teammates ready to assist them when life becomes difficult. They help coordinate access to medical, mental, and substance abuse treatments and provide emergency financial assistance, career guidance, and help connect families to various support services. First There honors past, present, and future combat controllers by raising awareness of their vital contributions to armed conflicts and natural disasters throughout American history. In today's conversation, Eric takes us through his own story, highlighting some of the pain he has experienced and how those experiences have given him the insight he needs to help others today. Specifically, Eric talks about survivor's guilt, depression, suicide, and using alcohol to self-medicate. These are not uncommon for combat veterans, especially following their separation from service due to several losses occurring simultaneously, such as the loss of purpose, the loss of belonging and support, and the loss of their identity. However, if there's anything at all I want you to hear from Eric's story, I want you to hear this. Number one, Having any of these or other symptoms does not make you weak. I will say that again. Having these or any other symptoms does not make you weak. Number two, you are not alone. I've worked with the most elite military men and women in the world, and they too struggle with all of these symptoms mentioned and more. Number three, not reaching out and talking to someone is the easiest way for this enemy to defeat you. This enemy will whisper lies to you all day long to keep you from growing and healing. Number four, like other enemies you've faced, you can beat this one. Do not, as Eric says, suffer in silence. Call me, call Eric, or someone you know and talk today, maybe right now. I hope this conversation gives you hope today. This episode is dedicated to Chris A.Z. Rush. For more information on the First There Foundation, combat controllers, or resources for support, please take a look at the show notes or go directly to firstthere.org where you can buy some merchandise like cool t-shirts and hoodies that will go to support our combat controllers. Thank you for listening. Eric, thank you for being with us at the In the Name of Service podcast. Start us off by telling us about yourself and your background. Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. First, first of all, you know, before we get right into it, I'll give you the super quick cliff note version of your listeners know what that is. I was born in Mexico City and, uh, you know, my parents were chasing the American dream. My dad left and when I was a little kid and he started working in San Antonio, Texas. He was a jeweler. A pretty talented one from what I hear. And, um, you know, two years later, we came over and, and uh, 
yeah, it's just kind of started living in San Antonio, Texas. Unfortunately, my dad, when he was by himself, he, you know, got pretty heavy into alcohol. And, you know, I'm sure being somewhat of a young man back then and being in the States without a family just kind of got a little bit out of control. So he wasn't a very good guy to my mom and, and us as the years went on. So, you know, divorces and stuff. And luckily my, my stepdad came into the picture and adopted us so that's why i have a german last time even though i was born in mexico city it, it throws off people okay quite a bit. so yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of cool right they talk to me on the phone and they're like oh mr holman and they meet me and they're like who are you <laughs> <laughs> so so it's good psychology right off the bat um yeah but yeah so grew up in san antonio you know played sports i always wanted to be a businessman I had no desire to join the military. And I went to Texas Tech University in Lubbock, which was not my favorite. It was, I, I didn't research it, you know, back then. So I just showed, I was probably the only kid with a car. Everybody were wearing trucks and, and there were, you know, ranchers and farmers. And I was, I, I just definitely thought to myself, oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> uh, but I, I partied a little bit too hard. And two, two, two years into it, my parents said, hey, I can't afford for you to keep doing that. So you got to figure something else out. So the Air Force was running their commercials about join us for four years and, and we pay for your degree. So I did that. I joined the Air Force. I became a security forces guy, which is a military police uh, for people that don't know. And the <laughs> I, I scored pretty on that HASVAB test, which is the test you need to get in. And you know my recruiter was actually pretty solid he he said hey man you could go fly around in a wax plane and kind of intelligence you know you'll be airborne intelligence and you fly all over the world it's awesome and right before i said yes he had a poster of these guys security forces with a green the beret a blue beret and uh, an m16 i was like no i want to do that <laughs> if i'm going to join the military i want a beret carry a weapon and he, he was looking at me like, you're an idiot. He's like, I don't think you should do that. And I was like, no, if I'm not joining this, what I want to do. So I did. And later, I, I kind of regretted it. But I did have fun. So I, was, I did my four years. Uh, I still didn't have my degree. So I re-enlisted. And when I re-enlisted shortly after 9-11 place. Mm. And it just sparked every patriotic bone in my body. And, and I wanted revenge for what they did. So I... You know, I was going to get out. I had my I had my bachelor's degree in business, and the day or a couple of days, a couple of weeks, I should say, before I, I left the Air Force, I ran into a combat controller, and he goes, "What are you doing? You know, you should be you should stay here with us." And I said, "No, I want to join the Army or the Navy." You know, because I mean, that's all you hear about. Uh, you know, I, want, I definitely want to go go get payback. So he's like, "You're an idiot. Join combat." Control, you get to drop bombs, you scuba dive, jump out of airplanes, <laughs> you, you have the best equipment. And at the end of the day, when those guys are sucked up in some terrible, you know, mud hole, you're like at a hotel, you know, you're having a good time. So I was like, oh, okay, uh, I think I'd rather do that. So yeah, that was kind of my spark in the combat control. And, you know, it's a long pipeline. Um, I think out of the 20 guys I started with, only four of us became combat controllers. And and shortly after, it was, it was uh, yeah, it was off to deploying and going to war, you know, so it was um, pretty quick. Yeah, I was going to say that initial description is fairly motivating, but the pipeline is so long that something a little deeper had to keep you motivated all that time. <laughs> well, I think he said a couple other things. He's like, you, you get to stay in the best hotels, the best gear, and a ton of women 
all you. They'll love you if you have one of these red berets, scarlet berets. So I said, oh okay, yeah, let's do that. So that was my other motivation, <laughs> to be completely honest with you. Yeah, I was like, why not? It got you through. Yes, definitely. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a rough one, for sure. My pipeline the first school it's just they just smoke you you know to see if you have the the intestinal fortitude to to make it through you know it's um it's rough and then you know it gets you go to airborne school survival school which those are kind of run by other cadre other instructors not combat control instructors so it's a little bit easier you're not getting smoked as much Mm -hmm. but as soon as you get to air traffic control school it's four months of you know just getting destroyed you know you're up by like four o'clock in the morning you're picking up your room make sure it's up to standard inspection standard and then you go downstairs you pt for about an hour and a half i think it was or or close to two hours well sometimes it was two hours because we messed up and they just kept us there just if we had class at nine they kept us to like eight fifty-five, and then we had five minutes to change and not be late to class because we were late we get some again so we were just you know drenched in sweat changing to uniforms running the class and then just trying to learn air traffic control school i was or air tra- you know it was, it was such a god it was such a rough school <laughs> um, but yeah so then after that you go to air you know you then you go to combat control school and that's another four months of your life or so that you yeah. get destroyed but it was a uh, it was pretty wild it was, um, it was the best time of my life for sure yeah do you feel like it prepared you for what was coming i think so oh well absolutely yeah I can't say I think so. Yes, absolutely. Um, I when I when I finally did leave the teams in 2013, I I think like most operators get out and say, well, I have a I had a degree, you know, I, I operated and I was one of the one of the best. And um, civilian world is completely completely different. It's I think more painful and and more difficult than any mission than any dead because in the military everything's laid out for you right you so like okay if you're going to train you're going to do this you get this or if you want to study and and you want to become high in rank then you got to do this if you're going to combat and you're doing a capture kill or you're going after someone you you have a plan everything's pretty much laid out some of those plans obviously get get uh, changed around but right. you mm-hmm. have a path in mm-hmm. the civilian world i mean it's uh no one really i mean your family and friends care about what you did and medals on your chest and all that stuff but the regular civilians or i mean for one unfortunately combat control is not well known right and so you get out and people are just like okay well thank you for your service <laughs> what what experience do you have running a multi-million dollar yeah budget how is that gonna help me what's your, yeah yeah how, how are we gonna take a chance on you running a you know hiring you on a on a mid-level management you know for a business so it's it was a very rude awakening and it uh but you gotta just keep chipping at it you know you gotta stay in the fight and you gotta just keep moving forward so what i did combat control definitely helped what stands out now as having been your most meaningful experience in the military uh you know i had some really good ones the most meaningful thing i i think was just being around uh, i say um I don't miss the circus. I miss the clowns. It was being around. <laughs> I, miss, I miss the guys, you know, because it was, yeah. I, I tell people, because I, I liked war and people ask me like, oh my God, war is so terrible, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but we're a little bit different. You know, by the time we get to war, we've been two years or at least three years almost of being desensitized to about what you do. You're training for it and you're just, you're just ready to go, you know? And, and it's, 
I tell people, imagine you being with your best friends in college or high school, whatever, your, your best friends that you grew up with, and then you're sent over and you have the greatest weaponry around. <laughs> and then for me, I had jets and helicopters and bombers above me. So, and then we're just going to go after guys, you know? So it was like the funnest time that you could imagine. Uh, the thing that got, you know, so that being, being around those guys and, you know, it was really, and keeping them, you know, my, when I joined any team, whether it was an army team or whatever, a SEAL team, it didn't matter. I, my main purpose, I always wanted to keep those guys alive. You know, right, I said, no right. matter what happens, I'm going to, I will, I will do whatever it takes to make sure we all come back because that is, that is my job as the controller. And, you know, and, and I did, but as much as I loved war and everything, as I started losing my friends to all my friends have been killed, have been to an insider attack. As I lost them, it just the survivor's guilt really started getting to me. Even though I wasn't there, it, it just really, really started messing with me, you know. And mm-hmm. on my last appointment, uh, I, I was with with a with an ODA, with an Army Special Forces team, and I just left. I just got ripped out, you know. So I, I left, and I believe it's like two weeks later, coming up here in, in March. Yeah. Um, it was an insider attack, and you know my team was wounded, and and um, my team leader, because my team leader and I replaced the team leader and the controller on that team because injured in the IED. They ran over an IED and got pretty banged up. So my my team leader Andrew and I joined that team to you know fill in, and then I left, and then two weeks later this attack happens and Andrew catches one in the head and, and he's killed you know so I was in San Antonio visiting you know after that deployment and um, my commander calls and he's like hey man I had some bad news I think most of your ODA is, is dead and and your team leader is definitely dead you know and it just ah oh, man it was, it was it, yeah it was just heartbreaking I mean I I bald you know for like two days because i mean he was i mean he was 28 years old at the time he was such a good dude right and being his first man you know and um yeah it just it just really it took the wind out of me because the rules of engagement were so terrible you know it was mm. we couldn't shoot right away for me to drop a bomb we had to get permission from some guy up in dc because the collateral damage of a bomb. I mean, it was so. Meanwhile, while we're getting waiting on this permission to to drop or to, uh, to you know to to uh, to fight engage them. Yeah, we're just we're waiting. So meanwhile, we're we're still taking fire, you know. And the enemy. I mean, it's funny how they just know, right? They start to realize that our rules of engagement are different. And uh, yeah, after Andrew was killed, I my shoulder was pretty torn up, and I went to my commanders actually probably three days after he told me I drove back to Florida and I said, Hey man, send me back. I want to go back. To, I want to go back to Afghanistan. Yeah. I, I know there's a controller there and I'll just be a shooter. I just want to be a shooter. I don't, I don't care about controlling aircraft. <laughs> he did me a solid. He, you know, he said, you're going to commit war crimes and I don't want your life to be destroyed for, for something stupid like that. Mm. I'm not sending you back, get your shoulder fixed. And then I was going to go um, assess for a tier one team, the two, four squadron. And, since he didn't send me back, I was pretty upset. And I said, well, and I'm out. I'm out of the Air Force. I'm going to get my shoulder fixed and I'm done with this. I, we're not protecting the guys. And I mean, what is it all for? You know, handing out soccer balls. That's that's not the soft mission, you know. It's, it's send, send these actors or the Red Cross to do that. 
you know, my, my job wasn't to do that. So yeah, I definitely have conviction. I left. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you experienced, it yeah, it sounds extremely, extremely tough. I mean, you're heartbroken and feeling disillusioned even about the importance of the mission you held so dear. So tell us about your transition from the military. What was that like for you? So I thought it was, it was going to be super easy. You know, I had a degree couple deployments and and i'd like to consider me a pretty smart guy so i said okay i'm just going to take over the world with right no big deal operator in a bachelor's degree (laughs) yeah here we go how hard could this be you know uh but it was it was very tough i I think i did what most guys do i i did a contracting gig right off the bat and i hated it you know i was back in afghanistan no weapon there weren't there's some operators or prior operators there but you know it's not the same and as soon as I got done with that rotation, I never went back. And then just trying to find a job was, was super terrible. Luckily, the aunt of Andrew, she, she's a lobbyist down here in Austin, Texas. And she said, hey, I, you know, you, you were there with my nephew. Yes. I want to try to get you this, this gig at the Texas Senate, working for a senator. Uh, doing a, you, you'll, you'll be a policy advisor. So I said, okay. I loved it. I loved um, being in the suit and tie. Yeah. And uh, kind of just dealing with the whole policy stuff, right? And I really fell in love with politics and the way it all worked. And sometimes I was there and look at these politicians. I was like, how is this moron in charge of people? You know, I just really, <laughs> it just really kind of gave me that curiosity. But uh, unfortunately, in Texas, the, the, it doesn't run year round. It's every other year for about from January to June. Okay. So I joined in March. So I only had a few months and then yeah. they called me in. They're like, okay, well, thanks a lot. You know, good luck. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, yeah, it's over. There's, there's no more. So that was, that was heartbreaking. And then, um, I didn't probably, that was a good six to eight months out. And, um, and later I was lucky. I found another job as a corporate security manager working for for a pretty big company, which I which loved again another suit and tie job. Which, you know that's my jam. I think <laughs> the, the uh, yeah the uh, survivor's guilt really started creeping up. You know, and when you first get out of the military, you'll get assessed and to PTSD your body. You know, they they give you like a rating. So right. I when when it came to the mental health, I said, nah, good. I I knew what I was going to do. Nothing affected me. I was I was good to go. So a year later, when I'm I'm going through this. I started having thoughts of, of suicide, which is something I've never thought of before ever in my life. Right. I wanted to run my car bridge, or there was times that I definitely thought about putting a gun to my head, and I and I and I would sit there and I was like, man, there's something wrong with me. I don't know why I'm why I'm thinking that. That's just not normal for me. Right. And luckily, the uh, the VA does a second assessment after you've been out, and uh, this psych doc, he was a pretty good guy, and he kind of. Um, really i guess i'll pass my they give you the sheet that says how have you been feeling the last two weeks you know you be sad so all my sheet was like oh i'm thrilled i'm happy and he, <laughs> he said hey man you're he goes hey man you're uh, lying to me he said other words but right said, you're lying to me and right. and you're wasting my time so when we get down to it so it took some convincing and and he goes hey you're, you're heavily depressed you know you're lost of purpose and you're miserable and uh, depression now i mean i knew that that was that meant you're sad at least that's how i thought about it you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he goes it happens to everybody 
And I said, no, it doesn't happen to dudes like me, you know. Mm, right. I'm, a, I'm an operator. And I said, that happens to, like, some fat dude watching Dr. Phil eating chocolates. You know, that's, that's not me. <laughs> and he just, he said, no, you're heavily depressed. So, yeah, luckily that doc, you know, he, he did his job and got me some meds for a while, for about eight months. And had to see him twice a week. But, you know, my goal was was wanted help I wanted to feel whole again you know? right I just yes. truly, I wanted to I, I just didn't want to be a victim of, of that I, right I, just, I hated that I can control my own mind you right know? And, and it was uh it was my transition was was very rough and luckily I had you know God and and some really friends that kind of recognized that I was in a bad spot mm-hmm. and uh you know uh, I, I was Monday through Friday I was completely good to go because I was going to work you know, I had a pretty big responsibility at work, but on the weekends, I would just pretty much drink till I blacked out, you know, and I just couldn't figure out why I did it. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it, it took, it took a long, you know, what I've been out for 10 years now and I can say that the last two and a half, three years, I've been where I'm flying level, where I'm whole, where I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm good. It was really, uh, you know, luckily Andrew, again, Andrew was looking out for me, you know, even though he was, he was killed, he, the, his mom started up a charity called APK Charities, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's in his honor. And they they reached out to me right. Well, I reached out to them after Andrew was killed, and I was like the first team guy that was with him because the rest of his team was you know either in Walter Reed getting repaired or, right. or still in Afghanistan. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, she said, "Hey, you're you're obviously hurting," and they kind of just adopted me a little bit, you know, as far as on the organizational side. Right. And then fast forward to 2020, they, uh, the SF Charitable Trust had a, <laughs> an event where they were giving away a car. And I happened to win this car. And everybody's like, oh, great. What group are you in? And I said, man, I'm a combat controller. I'm not a Green Beret. So they were kind of, they were kind of ticked off, you know, yeah. all these Green Berets. And, and this I'm guy gets the car. Controller. Come on. Yeah. There's like, damn it, damn Air Force, you know. <laughs> But it sparked something into into the foundation, you know, and what I wanted to do. But yeah, tell us that, about it's that funny how life works. It is right, twisted and winding, and you just never know. Tell us the history. Oh, You're getting us there right now, but tell us about first there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I went this car, and after this, I contacted the the current guys that have a you know the combat control guys and i said hey we we need to do something like this you know we need to raise money and a bunch of guys and should do this you know they they wanted to go their own different or they had a different view on on some of the things that i wanted to do or yeah they said i think i said all right and i was going to run for congress while i was running for congress so i said okay well at least i tried you know and figure it out and then shortly after a buddy of mine called me and and he was kind of in the same boat you know and he had a gun to his head and luckily his wife stopped him and and he was getting help and and i just i I woke up that night i said okay well i'm I'm gonna start my own foundation and i can i'm pretty sure i can handle running for congress and and started first there and what drove me to do that was not only my buddy calling me that night but also my friend chris rush who was my first supervisor as a combat controller he you know he did all these amazing things yeah six months after leaving teams he he puts a gun to his chest you know and and he's in on so that just kind of sparked that 
again, that are to, okay, well, it's up to me. It, you know, the Air Force, unfortunately, I don't know why their PR doesn't do more for, for combat controllers. You know, we've been around since 1953 and, and you never hear about us. You know, they, they always come up with these different names of, what was it, in the 80s, was like Air Commandos, then Special Tactics, Battlefield Airmen, right. Special Warfare Now. It just drives me insane. <laughs> so, and it, it's a very small community to begin with when yeah. you compare it to, you know, forces like um, Army Special Forces or, or other career fields. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, it just, it just, they're trying to, I feel like it's like what we're doing now. Everybody gets a medal, right? But those other guys that are in our pool aren't, didn't go through two years of, of getting your life destroyed. The pararescuemen and combat controllers did. So to me, that's where you got to advertise because you need people like that to continue to fight future wars or be ready. But they don't. So I don't, I don't know, maybe one day I'll into an Air Force PR person and ask them that question <laughs> for now. <laughs> well, tell us uh, what first there means. Up to, up to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's the feeling yeah, you felt. That's so, what sparked it all. Yeah. What does first there mean? And uh, that's our motto. The combat control motto is first there because we do jump in. Uh, contrary to popular belief, we're actually the first ones in because we got to be able to secure airfield or landing strips to bring in resources, whether it's more forces or land aircraft or, you know, whatever it is, we're combat controllers are one of the first on the ground for sure on any, any major operation yeah. or even covert operations. So, yeah, I, I figured I wanted to, be an extension of the team room for for my guys and and let them know that you know when they're struggling they don't they don't have to kind of flounder around you know because there's god bless the people that have all these different veteran organizations i mean i'm sure there's probably hundreds of them in the united states you know and the problem is that i went to one of them when i got out and i said well i'm a combat controller and again people just what is that? And yeah. then I tell them I was the Air Force and what I did. And they didn't believe me. So it was more annoying. And then I, it, it's trust. If guys don't trust the person they're talking to, they're not going to open up about anything, you know, especially if you got to explain to them what you've been doing in the military, you know. And mm-hmm. so I, I got to the point where I was just like, ah, just Google it and they'll tell you everything about me. I, I'm just, yeah, it was, it was very. Yeah, uh, it becomes exhausting annoying. trying to. Sure. Yeah. Explain away. What have you learned especially about? Everything we do. Exactly, exactly. What have you learned about supporting other combat controllers since the inception of first there? It's it's been really it's been really good. Um, you know, my first year this was which was twenty two. I first wanted to make sure that I had traction with the guys, you know. What I what I was doing, guys were gonna buy into it and say, Okay, this is this is good. I like what this guy's doing. And uh, because if they didn't, I can tell you that I wouldn't have lasted too long. Oh, no. It would have been, no. Yeah, they would have been like, get out of here, dude. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been really good. Uh, some good lessons learned, you know. I, I think people, as, they, as you have a nonprofit, there's people out there that think you have a million dollars in the bank right away. So then they want you to pay for everything. Mm. And uh, that's not the way it works. Sure. You know? and, and I said that at our, our gala. I said, hey, um, you know, it's up to us and we all have to have a stake in this because one day it might not be you, but it might be your teammate or someone you love that needs help. Uh, and we're not a piggy bank, you know, we just can't, can't do that. We just can't just fork out cash, especially uh, I'm entrusted by donors and people that are donating money to, to us. 
sponsors to, to really take care of this and make it go to a, a purpose that's going to have a good ROI. Again, if, if guys are not willing to help themselves, I mean, we can send them a treatment and try to get them help. But if they're truly not in the place where they want to help themselves, it's mm-hmm. you're wasting time and money, you know, and, and it's sad because by helping themselves, you, you mean like, it. are they ready to commit to treatment or is that what you mean? Yeah. As an operator, I, I think sometimes guys have forgotten. It's like, man, I was one of the baddest men on this earth, and now I'm this this guy. But everybody needs help at some time or the other, but it's up to you to also continue to push yourself to, to get that help and get better. Yeah. Um, well, you guys are... It's tough. It's so tough, and it's so complex, and it looks mm-hmm. different for every single person. But what you're offering in the form of a supportive relationship has no price tag i will tell you that so if there's anything you can do in your relationship you know it's normalizing the experience that you've had that you came to that point where you know you also had those thoughts of suicide and you had to fight for that warrior mindset that says okay now this is the enemy and now we're going against this so that relationship there's just no price tag on it i know there's a lot of things that you do need money for but how do you see first they're growing in the future and how can people get involved or contribute in some way sure well this is 23 now that we have the contraction of the team guy and they trust me now we're expanding where we're putting out the message to civilians or people that have never heard about combat control so my mission is take care of the guys take care of our families and is to to educate the public about combat control yeah so that's it, the message still it's shifted a little bit to where we're putting it out there more to expose ourselves to what we've done and you know i tell the guys it's um it's podcasts you know and talking about it because it's up to us to tell the story and now right. people don't even talk about afghanistan you know and you have guys that fought for 21 plus years over there right and yep. their stories where there was for us it's normal deployment but for a civilian to hear oh yeah i was shooting and moving with an oda or with a seal team and i was calling in an aircraft you know bombs or, or ordnance and i was calling in medevacs and and i was fighting meters away from these guys and they're just like that way you had aircraft over i mean it blows people's minds that we do that but if we don't tell the story it's 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 gonna die with us you know and 10 more years i mean all these guys are gonna be in their 50s and 60s and people are gonna be like oh sure you did pops get out of here. <laughs> so uh we're, we're telling the story we're trying to get more exposure and i've been lucky i've had some like i said some really good friends that want that want to help combat control and and first there and people like you you know that just reach out and say hey you know i right i saw you were <laughs> you ran people have to hear about this crazy. <laughs> so so i've been lucky you know thank god and it's um it's just good people to help out and and that just kind of works you know that whiny road that's in front of you you just got to stay at it keep chipping away at it and have you got to believe that it's going to work and sometimes it it comes pretty quick and sometimes it it doesn't but you just got to stay on course so first there i wanted to continue to grow we have our second gala 9 september Every gala is on the weekend of 9-11 because, uh, you know, that's an important day in our history. And I, yeah. I don't want people to forget. And that's the reason why a lot of us became combat controllers to to go to war. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's growing really well. And right now I'm working on a pilot program with um, with a pretty big company that uh, we're going to be able to start hiring soft guys and take them out of that constant rotation to, um, you know, to, to, to a foreign country 
to be contractors where they can stay here, get a degree, and then get them in the corporate world where they can stay home and be home with their families and then learn a skill that it'll transfer over to, even if they don't stay with us, they can go find another mid-level to senior-level job. So I'm pumped about that. It's all the, all the pieces are falling into place. That's um, really exciting. How So, so the, should people the, go to your website go, to find out more information or how should they find you? Well, it, it's rolling out. It, it literally just, I, I just, uh, this last Friday. So we're, it's in the pilot program. I'm the TBD. Pig. <laughs> gonna see, yeah, they're going to see how I do first. So I have a lot of pressure to make sure that I, that I, uh, you know, I surprise and, and uh, exceed all standards with the CEO and the company. And awesome. And as we move on, then, then he's going to say, okay, let's, uh, you're kind of in charge of this and start bringing some of your guys to, because, you know, operators, we're just so, so driven, self-sufficient. Right. You know, and most of them are all about the team. You know, it's team first. Yes. Let's get the mission done and let's right. work. So it's a, it's a very great skill that, that's untapped, I think. So in addition to your military service and then, and first there, you recently mm-hmm. ran for Congress, like how, and now I, we hear about this pilot program. How, how do you stay motivated to serve? Well, Congress was uh, just, I, I couldn't stand what happened to our country, right? The, the border. And like I said, I, I was born in Mexico City and I'm all about people chasing their dreams and, and but you got to do it the right way. And I think politics, unfortunately, becomes such a, and, and just seeing it firsthand, it's such a dirty business where it's just, yeah. it, it's for clicks and it's for, for likes. So they're willing to almost risk the safety of this country for for them to get elected or to, I mean, just blatantly lie about, about things that are going on. And so, I mean, that's why I ran. I had a pretty cushy job in Austin because I was working as a management analyst for the Health and uh, HHSC, which is Human Health Services Commission. And, um, but I kept seeing what was going on and I said, nope, I got to get in there. I, I can still fight, maybe not with a rifle, but with the pen, you know, and and I ran for Congress. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you become great. You got to throw yourself out there. It was, it was a wild ride. I don't know if I'll do it again, but I, I might. I hate losing. I did there's seven <laughs> candidates and I, I did pretty good for brand new out of out of nowhere. But uh, I was going to yeah, say that's so, so encouraging so. because, you know, there's people out there, Eric, who are like they have this thought in the back of their head. But like they're like, no, I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the background. I could never do that. And you're like, no, you could do it. <laughs> just go ahead. Try. Yeah, I just got to throw you just got to throw yourself out there. There's a lot of things that I mean, if anybody runs, I mean, their the consultant group was. You know, they, they try to, they were like, okay, well, you got to wear a cowboy hat and cowboy boots. And I said, no, oh, boy. I don't do that, man. I'll wear cargo pants. Yeah, I'll wear Merrill's. And, and, you know, if you want me out, like, you know, walking around and want Merrill's and, and some cargo pants, you know, because that's where I'm comfortable. I hate jeans and I'm definitely not wearing a cowboy hat, you know. And, but there's little things like that, that try to change you, right, for the image. And I fought back on, on most of that stuff. There was a couple of things that I, I agreed to that if I ever do it again, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know, yeah. I don't care what you say. Uh, but it was my first go and you know, I hate losing. So I definitely might do it again, but I think I'm going to take care of myself and, and my teammates and I'll uh, expand further out. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good, it was a good experience. Uh, I would tell guys listening, you got to get comfortable in the suit though. You know, he's got, <laughs> Is it I, like I told you earlier? I'm a student Thai guy, and you're no longer fighting. You're never going back there anymore. You either evolve or you perish. And if you want to be a lumberjack, then great. 
grow the longest beard you can. But if you want to get in the corporate world, you're going to have to get a haircut and, or at least trim your beard, right? Where you don't look like a scary person that people in the eighth are going to be like, there's nowhere we're hiring this guy. So it's just those little things that guys are slowly and that's another hard lesson you identify with your identity of right uh, i feel for some of these guys i think because they don't want to let go of that and it's going to be it's going to be a hard transition for sure well we could go in a thousand different directions but it's so true about identity um Mm -hmm. it's but it's not what you're wearing on the outside right it is all of the yeah. things that you've done, the hard work you've put in, and the experiences you've had with your brothers that create your identity, and that never goes away. Doesn't matter if you have a beard or not. So, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. What advice do you have for others who they might feel this call to serve in one way or another, but they just are lost when it comes to how or where to get started? Well, luckily, I think there's so many programs out there, and there's so many people talking about their struggles that they there's you can find refuge in that you know that there's that you're not alone and and saying okay why am i having these problems or why am i thinking about suicide or why am i hitting the bottle or you know whatever it may be and if you want to serve it's, it's just you, it's a very difficult thing and it's i think you have to heal yourself just a little bit and then come up with okay how can i how can i do better for for either my community or, or, you know, help. And I think serving others is get through something and, and then you'll recognize when your teammates are hurting and, and you can pull them aside and say, hey man, I, I know that you're hurting somehow. Well, you know, there's no need for you to suffer silence and tell your story, you know, tell how you've surpassed that, how you've overcome some of those things. And, and it's the little things, you know, the little things that matter. And, right. And that's what I, I started doing. I just started talking about it. Yeah. Um, and colors, you were very, I think most of them are very humble and never really want to talk about their experience or what they're feeling. But then we, then we just get stuck in this box and we suffer in silence. And, and then by the time you realize that you have the weight of the world on your shoulders and guys are just is really struggling. So start small, start looking after you, yourselves and, and your family. And if you need help, you can always reach out to, to us. And, you know, it's, it's, that's how it starts, you know, and as you get broader where you want to serve your community, then that'll come with time. And, but I think you have to take care of yourself first and, you know, not be afraid to, to say, Hey, there's, there's something wrong with me I, mm-hmm. in that there's that i think that stigma is going away to some degree but it's still out there but mental health is definitely is definitely key to healing up and, and having a smoother transition you know and and also having the willingness to say okay i'm not gonna let this 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 depression or whatever it is overcome you know take advantage of me or or, or you know succeed where i'm gonna put a gun to my head you know you gotta just it's a fight it's uh it's, it's fight. probably the toughest fight they'll be in but yeah. you got to You got to I mean, we're made different. So you got to just keep chipping away at it and keep fighting. Thank you. I love that answer. Sure. Nothing, nothing to add. Eric, I've taken <laughs> up plenty of your time today. I just want to thank you for your time today, your service and what you are doing in the service of others. And I'll, I'll that link. That was my honor. It, it really is. Good, good. Well, I'll um, have some links in the show notes for people if they want to either get in contact with you or find out more about First There. Thanks, Eric. Sure. That would be awesome. Thank you so much.